y'all do. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. All right, preseason finale is tonight, 49ers and the Texans. That means it's dress rehearsal time. Dress rehearsal means that the 49ers will try to simulate the regular season as closely as possible, at least for about one half or a half at most. And the Texans are going to try to do the same thing. Their coach, Lovey Smith, said this week that the starters would be playing for Houston as well. So, Matt, we're going to get to see Trey Lance behind Trent Williams, I would assume, but not behind Mike McGlinchey because he's still out this week. But I'm just most excited to see the 49ers offense and most of their offensive line in place, not not only in front of Lance, but in front of their backfield because there's a lot of questions about which running backs are going to make this 53-man roster. Yeah, I'd like to see the you know we, what we've been seeing in, in practice sort of play out in this game. Um, in Minnesota, we talked about this. There was a lot of Trey Lance to, to Debo Samuel, and it looked like that connection had really started to heat up and take off, and obviously that's something that they want to lean on. Um, when the regular season begins, I, I think they'd love to kind of take that for a test drive in this game. Uh, and, and I've seen uh, Kyle Shanahan or, or heard Kyle Shanahan um, sort of uh, uh, kind of adjust uh, a little bit in his head what what he was looking for. To us, it was, uh, you know, a half, no more than a half. On the radio the other day, he said, you know, uh, two or three drives. I, I think it's the quality of those drives that he's looking for. Um, he wants to see good quality play. Uh, a couple of extended drives, and then I think he'd be quite happy to to kind of whisk those guys out of there because uh, remember what happened last year against uh, the Raiders in that third preseason game. That was the game that Trey Lance uh, hurt his finger, um, you know, threw a pass, and uh, the follow-through carried his hand into the helmet of a Raiders player. It ended up breaking a bone in his finger or chipping a bone in his finger, which he sloughed off and which, uh, as it turns out, ended up being a really big deal because uh, it sort of uh, messed with his throwing motion for uh, the majority of the season. So that would be, I don't want to say catastrophic, but that would be the worst case scenario uh, if there's uh, an injury to QB1. Well, that's why Kyle Shanahan likes those guardian caps so much that the offensive linemen and linebackers and tight ends and defensive linemen have had to wear at practice. Those are the, the fluffy caps on top of the helmets. Kyle didn't say that he likes them because of the 10% chance of reducing a concussion. He said that he likes them because they're pillows on linemen's heads so his quarterbacks can't break their fingers in practice on the follow-through. And you can bet that Trey Lance's finger injury on the follow-through against the helmet last year against the Raiders uh, definitely played into some of Kyle Shanahan's thinking about that. But there will be no more guardian caps on the heads during get this game so it can happen again and that's just something that it's incumbent on the offensive line to create as clean of a pocket as possible the more disarray there is around the quarterback the more of a chance of an injury that there is and you know we talk about this in the bigger picture we're going to mention Jimmy Garoppolo and talk about the contractual situation and potential maneuvers as well on this show but uh, Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt a lot right over the past few seasons and that's maybe the primary reason why the 49ers are in this position right now of trying to shop Jimmy Garoppolo away um, while they're moving on to Trey Lance. And, I mean, you could say injury-prone all you want about Jimmy Garoppolo, but 
the bottom line is that he was harassed and pressured a whole heck of a lot behind the 49ers offensive line. A- any metric that you look at, PFF grade, uh, you know, specifically to pass blocking or ESPN pass block win rate or time to throw, all this stuff uh, said that the 49ers offensive line and pass protection just hadn't been very good over the past few seasons. This year, Matt, uh it doesn't look good on paper, but there are a lot of new faces. And one particularly new face onto the scene is Jason Poe. He's a bowling ball. He's taken some first-team reps now in practice instead of Aaron Banks at left guard. Banks will probably still start, but I, I, it looks like they've got a yet another run-blocking weapon in there in Jason Poe. We might get to see him in week three here with the ones. Uh, my question though is how well is he going to be able to pass protect? Because we're talking about protecting Trey Lance, we're talking about not breaking any fingers. Uh, well, the 49ers have just introduced what, how many new faces on the offensive line, and they're about to introduce Jason Poe to the world. Is he going to be able to be part of that effort to make the protection in front of the quarterback better? Strong as an ox, quick as a cat. <laughs> that was uh, that was, that was Trent Williams' uh, assessment of Jason Poe. And, and Williams has really taken this guy under his wing. He's really become a protege of Trent Williams. And, and Williams was, wow, he was really talking him up uh, to us uh, after that Tuesday practice. Um, and, and you're right. Um, you know, what, what's really stood out about Jason Poe is his run blocking. And, and you would think it would because he runs very well. Um, he can, you know, there were a couple of blocks, uh, in that Vikings game where he was able to get a piece of a defensive lineman, ship a defensive lineman, uh, defensive tackle, and then get out into the, uh, deeper into the defense and take out a linebacker as well. And when you can do that, when you can take out two guys, um, that's exactly what, uh, the 49ers are looking for. That's, that's how you turn a three yard gain into a, a, an 18 yard gain or more. Uh, so he's really, really good in that regard and, and just an, a nice fit. And we always kind of thought this would be the case in a offensive line, in a, a scheme that requires the offensive lineman to, to run and to get downfield. The, the pass blocking hasn't been quite as good, but it's still very impressive for somebody of his stature. Um, I, I, I mentioned 6'1 to Trent Williams. <laughs> he raised his eyebrows and said, is he, is he 6'1? Because uh, I think a lot of people think that he might be even shorter than that, um, which, is, which is kind of funny at this stage because it, it hasn't mattered. Um, he's able to move his feet and he's very strong. So he's kind of combined that strength and that low stature with uh, you know, uh, an ability to not be uprooted. You can't get under his pads because they're always going to be under yours. And so uh, he's been good in that regard. Um, he hasn't been perfect in that regard, and and that'll be something to watch. And, and it, it'll be interesting to see how many snaps they give him because he started to encroach a little bit on Aaron Banks' snaps in that Tuesday practice. Uh, and I know the 49ers don't want that advertised, but uh, it, it's, it's out in the public now because Kyle Shanahan was asked a question um, in the press conference. But... Uh, I just wonder how much, uh, what that ratio is going to be tonight. Well, they could have just opened up the locker room and closed the practice, and then we wouldn't have known. But they opened up the practice, and then we saw it, so it was funny. I I guess, you know, it's that weird time of the year where the 49ers are starting to game plan. Right. And we're still there, right? We we, Now we're not anymore. The, The last open practice was on Tuesday. But, yeah, so they start to do some more specific stuff, and... 
They don't want us to report on strategy. And I guess that was a little too specific. But then when Kyle Shanahan is asked about it in his press conference, I think Jake Hutchinson from KMBR asked him about it. Um, yeah, let's throw does- Jake under the bus here. Uh- <laughs> no, no, I'm giving him credit. Yeah, I'm giving him credit. He's the one that asked the question and Shanahan didn't deny it. So at that point, it's out in the open, right? And then Trent Williams uh, didn't deny anything either. Trent Williams, he doesn't care if the word gets out. Trent Williams will glow about Jason Poe all day. And my nickname for Jason Poe is the Lord of Leverage. Sir Poe, the Lord of Leverage. Because go. he's got he's got this, uh, he's got an awesome name, Jason Poe, first of all. And then second, um, he, he's got the natural leverage. Uh, it, it's just built in because... He's not six one. Uh, you know, I I think we knew that was a, a lie, a fib, whatever you want to call it. This the second that we saw the the roster and Trent Williams yesterday when was it you Matt that that said that he's six one? Then Trent Williams yeah. just started laughing. Yeah, <laughs> he said he so. could be anywhere from six three to five ten. <laughs> yeah. So well, let's err on the side of five ten. He is definitely the shortest lineman in the league, and the worry about short linemen is that they're not going to have long enough arms to keep defensive linemen off bay. But I don't think the person who wrote that handbook was taking into account 5'10 or 5'11 linemen. And he is so short that he's turned it around into a strength, right? Because these defensive linemen aren't used to the leverage of a 5'10 guy, especially a 5'10 guy with fire hydrant type strength. Those guys... If, if they do make it to the NFL, would play defensive tackle. They wouldn't play offensive guard. But here you have Poe because he can run a 4-9 and, and offenses are changing. You know, the, like this outside zone attack that we see here needs the mobile lineman. Here you have Poe in a fire hydrant type body with feet playing on the offensive side of the ball. And it's completely turned everything around on its head, Matt. And, you know, we're, we're just sitting here marveling at his meteoric rise from Mercer, right? I mean, somebody said they didn't even know they had a football program. Well, they do, um, to potentially getting some meaningful playing time for the 49ers early in his NFL career. In those one-on-one pass rush drills that, uh, that, the 49, that every team does, uh, they pit the defensive lineman against uh, the offensive lineman. So it's uh, mano y mano, one guy versus the other guy. And, and we've seen the, the defensive line usually dominate that drill. Uh, and, and you would think that they would, and, and especially on this team where the defensive line talent exceeds that of the offensive line. And, you, and you've seen some guys really struggle with that drill. Um, you know, Aaron Banks, especially the first couple of times they went through it, um, couldn't anchor, got driven back. Donovan West, uh, a rookie that everybody was excited about, not so much now. Uh, he's a little bit behind the curve. He was driven back. Um, Nick Sakel, uh, one of the draft picks this year, um, just um, having trouble anchoring. And uh, the, the 49ers, uh, you know, have some defensive linemen who are kind of the, the same shape as uh, uh, Poe. Uh, Akeem Spence, uh, Hassan Ridgeway, uh, n- another rookie, Kevin Atkins. These guys can get low and they can drive guys back, and they haven't been able to do that with Jason Poe. It's kind of amazing. I mean, it just shows you how strong he is um, and uh, that leverage, that lord of leverage that you're talking about. He can really anchor, and he can do it in a very um, quick manner. I mean, he can be sort of out of position and very quickly kind of correct himself because he's got such quick feet. So I think that's what they're excited about. 
Uh, you know, Trent Williams did caution that this is very early in the process. There's so much more that he has to learn. There's so many mistakes that he's going to make. And um, I do think that the 49ers are going to give him a lot of snaps because let, let's let's talk about it. Uh, let, let's go over what you think are going to be the uh, the nine. It's usually nine offensive linemen on the team. Um, I think we know who the ideal starters are from left to right. It goes Williams, Banks, uh, Brendel at center, uh, Spencer Burford, probably the right guard, and, and Mike McGlinchey, if he's ha- uh, healthy, uh, the right tackle. So, David, that leaves three more spots. Who, who do you fill with those uh, those three spots? Yeah, so first off, right after the draft, I called up Jason Poe's college coach, Drew Cronich, who's uh, the coach over at Mercer, coached Poe before at Lenore Ryan, and then Poe followed him over to Mercer a year later. And I, I, all these coaches love their former players, but he was adamant, went out of his way to tell me, Jason Poe is going to find a way to make that football team. And, you know, to me, that was remarkable because you look at stacked roster. We're about to talk about how difficult some of these decisions will be. And for somebody to be that confident that a severely undersized, you know, at least at the time, you know, that that was the thought process, right, that Jason Poe was undersized, that a severely undersized offensive lineman would somehow crack this 49ers roster with complete certainty. That 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 really blew me away. So you know, I, I took note of that quote. I put it into my mental memory bank. And uh, it, even though it, even if Jason Poe is a long way to go, um, it we're a short ways away from the fifty three man roster cut down. So that's like the next logical step forward for him, right? If he and I think he's on the inside of the picture right now. So as you said, the starting five left to right, McKivitz obviously. Daniel Brunskill, obviously. Brunskill is going to be, I think, is going to slot into that utility role perfectly for the 49ers. And I think Jalen Moore is going to make the team, plus Jason Poe. Now, the great thing about Daniel Brunskill is that his best snaps at the NFL level come at tackle. So you already have a swing tackle in Colton McKibbitts. I think Daniel Brunskill is an honorary swing tackle who's also focusing on potentially backing up at center. And Jalen Moore can play all the positions. Well, if your top three backups can can do all that, you have the luxury of having a guard or interior only guy and Jason Poe being uh, the ninth out of your nine, rounding out that top nine. Yeah, and then in that scenario, I think Donovan West and Nick Sakel uh, go to the practice squad. And then, you know, sort of the, the wild card in all of this is uh, Jordan Mills. He's a guy that came in, I forget what it was, maybe a week into training camp, uh, has a lot of plenty, playing experience, veteran guy. He looked good early on, uh, but uh, he was one of the, the linemen who I thought struggled in the Vikings game. So it'll be interesting uh, to see how he does, A, against the, the Texans tonight, and B, what his fate is and uh, you know whether he's... Uh, a guy that they keep on the active roster, whether he's a practice squad guy, whether they just say goodbye to him uh, or what, but because uh, that potentially could be a problem area. I mean, let's let's talk about one thing that nobody wants to talk about, which is uh, Mike McGlinchey and uh, and injuries. Um, you know, he had the, the very bad quadriceps tear last year that ended his season. He had surgery to uh, correct that. Um, they took him along very slowly in the off season. They were very cautious with him. And because of that caution, they thought that, you know, everything was going to be great for the start of the season. Well, he only played eight snaps, uh, against, uh, the Packers in that preseason opener. 
and he had irritation. Uh, his knee is bothering him again. It required a, a PRP shot, and he's had several of those. Uh, so um, that's uh, that's disturbing. Uh, that, that's got to be concerning for this team. Kyle Shanahan has gone out of his way to say that what McGlinchey is experiencing now is not related to the surgery that he had. However, it's the same leg. Uh, you know, ultimately, all these things are connected to one another, and he couldn't go beyond eight snaps without it becoming uh, a problem. So um, I don't know what that means for the season. I know that uh, they're very happy that McKibbitts has sort of stepped up and is playing well, but uh, now we're talking about kind of one more injury, and they're 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 in real trouble at uh, at a critical spot. You know, in addition to the fact that they've got some neophytes at guard and center. So you'd have a bit of a, a, a really bad domino effect if uh, if McGlinchey can't go for very long. Yeah, like I said, Daniel Brunskill may have to come to the rescue again, just like he did in 2019 when McGlinchey, I believe, missed six games, something like that in the middle of the season. Brunskill played right tackle then. Then we saw some left tackle from Brunskill when Joe Staley went down. And that's the best football that we've seen from Daniel Brunskill. He played well at center, but he, he was hobbled a little bit in 2020 when he filled in at those eight games at center. And and uh, the last two years, Brunskill at right guard has actually been a below average offensive lineman in, in any metric that you look at. So um, to me, you know, just the circumstances might force the 49ers to play Brunskill where he's been better for them. And it makes sense. I and mean, he's a former college tight end at San Diego State. Uh, tight end convert, you'd expect to have a little bit more success on the exterior line because it's closer to the duties of of the tight end than on the interior line. And uh, center, obviously, is an exceptional position because you don't see quite as much contact at center as you do as at guard. And you got to be smart to, to, to play center. And Brunskill, I think the reason he played well there in 2020 is because he's a smart and very studious guy. But boy, that offensive line... Uh, as we keep on saying, it, it could be the kryptonite of this football team. Why don't we talk a little bit more about what might happen uh, come Tuesday on this 53-man roster cut down? First with, with Jimmy Garoppolo, because the 49ers have a couple options here, because the trigger dates are not all uniform here. There are two different triggers as far as what Jimmy Garoppolo's impact on this 49ers team and salary cap situation may have. The first comes on roster cut down day on August 30th, Matt. If they keep Jimmy on the 53-man roster. They don't yet owe him his $24.2 million guaranteed, but they owe him a roster spot, obviously. And that means that, you know, when we have the, all these debates about one guy in, one guy out, that means that Garoppolo would be taking up a valuable spot if the 49ers kept him. And that's their right. They can do that if they want to. On September 10th, the day before the regular season opener against Chicago, Jimmy Garoppolo's $24.2 million would become guaranteed if he were on the roster. So those are two inflection points. The 49ers obviously want to trade him. Nothing's happened yet on that front because I think teams realize that, hey, even if we want Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers face these deadlines to release him. So we're just going to try to wait them out. Nobody's gotten desperate enough to pull the trigger and try to get him a little bit early just yet. So what are the 49ers going to do? Are they going to try to hold on to him a little bit longer or are they just going to call this a loss at this point and move forward? Well, my sense, my guess is that, you know, we just talked about uh, what happened last year in that third preseason game to, to Trey Lance. He got hurt. He wouldn't have been able to to play a full game to uh, to begin the season. So, 
My guess is that the 49ers are waiting for this last spate of games. All these teams play their third and final preseason game between, I think it's Thursday and Sunday are the last ones. And they'll wait for those to occur and they'll see if uh, anything shakes out. I mean, I don't want to say that they're they're waiting on an injury, but that's exactly what they're doing. And uh, that's the wise play here. Because uh, it, uh, let's say uh, Tua in Miami got hurt. We already saw it happen with Zach Wilson. He, he, he narrowly av- avoided what could have been a catastrophic knee injury. But uh, someplace where it makes total sense for Jimmy Garoppolo uh, to go, where he could kind of pick up right away and learn the system, that, that's, that's absolutely possible. Injuries happen all the time. So that's my sense is that they're waiting to see what happens in, this, uh, in these, these uh, third and final preseason games. And, uh, you know, that, that means that we're looking at what, um, uh, Monday, uh, the 29th or, or Tuesday, the 30th, which is, uh, basically cut down day. So, um, that's, that's what I think is going to happen. Um, now they could keep, keep, uh, doing this for another week or so and, and, and really kind of put the screws to, uh, a, a Seahawks team. I think they're very worried that Garoppolo winds up with the Seahawks and, they it's not in their best interest to give Garoppolo and the Seahawks a long runway to begin the season so that he can beat them in week two. Um, so that that could be playing into it as well. But it seems that from everything that the, these guys have been saying, and uh, Kyle and John said something like this uh, to begin training camp, that they've kind of found a, a happy medium that will satisfy all parties uh, as far as their timeline. And then uh, on, on KNBR this week, uh, Tom Tolbert asked John Lynch, uh, you know, if, if you can't trade Jimmy Garoppolo, what's what's the timing? What, what's the timeline on um, and just parting ways with him? And the first words uh, out of his mouth were, uh, you know, we're getting pretty close. So that, that tells me that uh, we're probably within a week of this happening. Yeah, I, I heard that as well. And that's probably the biggest clue that the 49ers are going to err on the side of preserving a roster spot that because the game that you just illustrated right now, the waiting for somebody to get hurt in week three of the preseason. I mean, if they want to, they can play that into the regular season, right? They have enough money to do it. They have the cap space right now. It'd be risky. Yes. But assuming your strategy is waiting for an injury, so you get some kind of trade compensation in in return, uh, there's nothing really stopping the 49ers from waiting into the regular season with Jimmy Garoppolo doing the same thing and then say somebody, the Steelers see a quarterback injury in week two, then turning around and trading him. But the problem is if the injury doesn't happen, you're sitting there eating his salary every single week and it's guaranteed. So somebody has to pay it starting on September 10th. Right now it's not guaranteed. And also I think there's just tremendous value this year to every single one of these roster spots. And I mean, the 49ers strategy so far regarding Jimmy Garoppolo has been carry him on the roster while it doesn't negatively impact the rest of the team. And a lot of people were trying to say, oh, it's impacting their ability to sign free agents in March, but that was completely false. They All they had to do was restructure a couple deals and they signed whoever they wanted to. The, the salary cap right now is actually smiling in the 49ers' favor because it's going to spike here in, in future years. The, the game on Thursday is going to be on Amazon. Amazon carrying games, it's part of the new TV deal. And that new TV deal is making the 49ers very cap rich 
moving forward. But um, anyway, I digress. The 49ers, I think for them, the most important part of this equation is that roster spot. And uh, we, you know, when we talk about the 53-man roster, it becomes immediately apparent why. You go through every position, Matt. We talked about the running backs, We, you know, receivers. Do they take five? Do they take six? That's a big decision coming up because I think if they take six, uh, Malik Turner could be a very, very impactful, positively impactful member of this football team. We saw him with the strip coming from the up man position in the game against Minnesota. But maybe the 49ers decide to play some roster gymnastics and see if they could sneak Malik Turner in onto their practice squad. I don't know how realistic that is, but this is where all of the front office has to be working overtime making sure that they know the exact roster situations of every team in the league to make sure that if they do cut Malik Turner and want to bring him back to the practice squad, to make sure that there's not another team waiting with him, uh, waiting for him with open arms for their 53-man roster. Yeah, Malik Turner, do they keep uh, five or six wide receivers? Uh, if they keep five running backs, and I'm, and I'm including uh, fullback Kyle Juszczyk in that mix, uh, who are the five? Um, you know, which 10 defensive linemen are they going to keep? To me, that's the, that's the biggest one. Um, you know, uh, any way you slice it at this point, you're, if you're, if you're only going to keep 10 and maybe they do keep 11, it's possible. Um, you're, you're cutting somebody that, uh, I'm pretty sure another team, <laughs> probably the Seahawks, uh, will, will snap up immediately off of waivers. Um, you know, teams know where other teams are, are rich. And uh, those other teams know that the 49ers are rich along the defensive line. So that's a, that's a big uh, that's a big question to me. I mean, let, let's get specific there. Um, you know, it, to me, it, it, it's a choice among this is for your your 10th spot. Say you're taking 10 defensive linemen on your initial 53 man roster. To me, it's a toss up among um, Jordan Willis, uh, Kamoko Ture. Uh, Charles Amenehue and, and Kerry Hyder. And uh, I've, I'm already seeing some uh, projections where, for example, Hyder is not kept. I, I'd be very surprised if he's if he's not on the 53-man roster. But again, I, I, I'd be a little bit surprised if, if any of those guys I just mentioned are lopped off. So what do you do, uh, David Lombardi, GM? Right now in my projection, and my projection is very fluid. I'm not going to like formalize this until I see this this third preseason game. Uh, I'm struggling and I have cut it from 11 to 10 defensive linemen. And I'm just basing this on how the rotation works at practice. And Kerry Hyder, I have on the outside looking in, which... To me, it just makes me feel really uncomfortable. It feels like a preposterous roster projection to take the guy that had eight and a half sacks to lead the football team two seasons ago and have him not make the 53-man cut. I mean, eight and a half sacks, that's that's a significant number that Kerry Hyder delivered, but that's you know where he seems to be on the pecking order right now. If, if you had to cut it to 10 defensive linemen, I think you'd be number 11 in, in that order. Uh, I don't know if they're going to cut it to 10, but... When I look at the roster holistically, they may have to. Now, in my roster right now, if they want to carry Hyder, uh, they they could try the practice squad game with Malik Turner, and then they could carry the 11 defensive linemen. And at, at that point, it becomes a game of, I don't know what the exact job title is, not advanced scouts, but somebody in the front office who's keeping a track of, of the rest of the league, like I just said, you have to have a beat on uh, who, who might, elsewhere might need a defensive lineman like Kerry Hyder, who elsewhere might need a receiver slash specialist like Malik Turner. 
and you weigh the probability of each of those guys getting picked up to the 53-man roster elsewhere if you cut them, and then you just go with the opposite, right? You go and keep the guy who has the the biggest chance of getting picked up elsewhere, and you might let that other guy go to see if you could sneak him through to your practice squad. Yeah, I wonder if this is getting harder and harder for Kyle Shanahan each year because his his coaching tree keeps growing. So, um, you know, some of these teams, the Jets, the Dolphins, uh, would probably be very eager to pick up a guy that basically can can start right away for your team uh, because they're so familiar with either the defense or the offense that you're running. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that this has gotten uh, a little bit trickier every year for Shanahan and, and John Lynch in, in 2017. Uh, no, nobody cared uh, who they were cutting. It was a bad team. It was a bad roster. Uh, but now it's a good roster. They're cutting talent. And more to the point, uh, it's talent that can kind of hit the ground running in other cities. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm wondering about. We could even kind of uh, use that to kind of talk about this, this quarterback situation. Uh, Brock Purdy is having a, a really nice summer. Um, as you noted in, in one of your questions to Kyle the other day, probably has picked up this offense as quickly as any rookie has uh, over over the course of Kyle's career. Um, you know, there 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 are teams, uh, you know, the Jets are dealing with an injury. Um, you know, uh, I don't think this is going to happen, but it's something that they have to consider because there's so many teams that run this offense now. Uh, if you're sort of a a guy who's excelling in the Kyle Shanahan system you're probably going to be valuable elsewhere. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, Nick Mullins just went from the Raiders to the Vikings for a seventh round pick. Nick Mullins was worth a pick. He had a cheap enough contract to where uh, there was draft capital exchanged in that that, uh, transaction. So we've heard the comps already between Purdy and Mullins and people are saying, well, Purdy is a lot like Nick Mullins demeanor wise, but he's got a whole lot more physical upside. He's stronger, uh, has a better arm. And well, if that's the case, then especially if Kyle Shanahan's got disciples around the league, he could be a guy that gets picked up. And that's going to be a tough decision for the 49ers. And I, I think it's made by the fact that this 53 man roster is so crowded and by the fact that this team is trying to contend for a Super Bowl title this year. You can't just be stashing third quarterbacks on deep rosters because it's the, the trade-off is just too much. They're obviously probably leaning toward not having Jimmy Garoppolo on this roster past August 30th because the roster spot's that valuable. Well, uh, Brock Purdy, if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't uh, warrant that roster spot for another 10 days, then I'm not sure if Brock Purdy will, you know? So I, I Kyle's always favored taking only two quarterbacks in the past because with only two QBs, he has room for maneuverability elsewhere. And I think that's what it's going to be this year. And we will see if anybody has room on their 53 for Brock Purdy. The 49ers will be thrilled if that wasn't the case so they could have him in the building for their practice squad. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's, uh, let's get some fantasy football listeners uh, to, to tune into this podcast and talk about the, the running back situation because it's one where if, if you're somebody who picks up uh, Elijah Mitchell – in, in your fantasy draft, you're going to want whoever is behind uh, Elijah Mitchell uh, in the depth chart because he, uh, he does tend to get hurt. Uh, and I think uh, we can agree that Elijah Mitchell and um, Jeff Wilson are one and two on that depth chart right now, and they're not going to cut Ty Davis Price, uh, a guy that they took in the third round. So that probably leaves uh, one more tailback spot for one of three players, and those three players are... Trey Thurman, third rounder last year, obviously didn't get a lot of playing time at all in 2021. Uh, Jermichael Hasty, uh, who is probably the most unique uh, of that group in that he can do some things that the others can't. Um, and then uh, Jordan Mason. And uh, Jordan Mason has got tons of buzz right now because uh, he looked really good in the second half of the uh of the preseason game against the Vikings. I would caution that that's that's a, a time period where lots of guys have looked good for the 49ers over the year. Years, I call it the uh, the Corey Sheets effect. Uh, <laughs> guys, people will remember Corey Nick Sheets. Nick Mullins effect, too. Yeah, well, there you go. Remember Corey <laughs> Rush, the defensive end, who had like 15 sacks in the preseason. Corey Rush? You mean the 49ers PR director? Not Corey Rush. What was his name? Gosh, it was something Rush. Because uh, I always thought that he had the greatest name for a pass well, rusher. I ever. thought you had just uncovered something I didn't know. I didn't know, I didn't know that Corey used to be a pass rusher for the 49ers. <laughs> That's where he made all of his money. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, my point is I, I, shouldn't be, um, I shouldn't be downgrading Jordan Mason like this because what we saw in the game is what we've been seeing in practice. I mean, this guy's been very consistent from the get-go. Uh, and he runs hard and, and he breaks tackles. And I think he's actually a really nice fit for this team. So any of those guys, I think, is a possibility. I, you know, personally uh, think that the 49ers would go hasty with that pick because of, uh, of what I just said. He provides a, a third down option. He's uh, kind of a, a trusted agent. Uh, he's a good blocker. Uh, and he's yeah, good, he's uh, really developed that part of his game. Yeah, he's probably better than than. Well, Jeff Wilson's good at it too, uh, but but those two are probably uh, at the forefront when it comes to that. I mean, how do you see those those four tailbacks, or do you see them keeping five tailbacks plus uh, plus the fullback? I mean, that would be crazy. I think they'd only keep five if they were worried that whoever they cut would get scooped up by somebody else. Uh, but they do want to keep as many as possible in the building. And by that, I mean both 53 and the practice squad. Speaking of Hasty, what sold me on him the other day, I was watching the tape and on the play where Purdy hit Malik Turner, third down, end of the first half, you know, the big play in the game really for the 49ers offensively. Uh, Jamichael Hasty had an awesome, awesome blitz pickup. Troy Dye, the linebacker for the Vikings, was on a blitz and Dye is – a good 225, 230 pounds. Hasty is the smallest 49ers running back, 200 to 205. So big time weight disadvantage, and he just stuck him up there in the in the blitzing gap. That was really impressive to me. And I, I still remember last year we were talking about, oh, are they going to carry Hasty? Are they going to carry Wayne Gallman? Because well, Gallman's a better pass protector. And I think that Hasty showed them something 
in in that time, you know, that last training camp that it, it he kind of shook off the reputation of not being a great pass protector. And now he's known as the ball of muscle. That's what Tim Ryan likes to call him on the TV broadcast. So I think that Jamichael Hasty is a comparative advantage uh, when you look at the running back room. Because listen to this, Elijah Mitchell... He's around 211, 212. Jeff Wilson, around 215 this year. He's added a couple pounds. Ty Davis Price, 220. Jordan Mason, 223. Trey Sermon, around 215 pounds. Jamichael Hasty is 200 to 205. So you have the smaller, shiftier running back who, like you said, can give you that third down adaptability. And I think the 49ers have skewed so far to the direction of size in the running back room that they will want to have one of these guys that does something a little bit different. And the fact that he can pass protect on top of that, like a bigger guy, uh, all more power to him. So uh, I'm going to find a way to slot hasty into my 53 man projection pending this game. I still want to see what happens on Thursday, but I think he'll be in Mitchell, obviously in Ty Davis price, obviously. in. Um, and, and, you know, then you look at Wilson and sermon and I want to know what the truth is behind Trey Sermon. Uh, you know, is it, it, has he just been running against better defenders with a bad offensive line? Uh, we'll find out in this game because he's been kind of like at the forefront of the rotation, right? In practice and during during these games. And I know that didn't mean much last year because Elijah Mitchell was, the, was all of a sudden there starting in week one against the Detroit Lions. But I really want to see all these backs work with Trent Williams on the field, work with the 49ers best blockers on the field, Matt, because otherwise I don't trust my eyes in this situation. Because like you said, Jordan Mason could be racking up a lot against the third team and Trey Sermon could be struggling with no room against the first team uh, until we see these backs tested on equal footing. Yeah, I will say that in those scrimmages against the Vikings, um, and and Sermon I think was was injured uh, towards the end of Thursdays, uh, he looked good uh, in those uh, he was running the ball hard, and, and I, I think that just really unfortunate ankle sprain. I think the 49ers would have loved to have seen him do what he did uh, in the scrimmages uh, also in the game on Saturday, and they just didn't get that opportunity to either from um, you know a, a, a uh, mostly a second-string offensive line and the fact that he was dealing with this, uh, with this ankle injury. Marcus Rush is the guy I was trying to show Not Corey Rush. The, Before uh, my time covering the Niners. Yeah, Marcus Rush was a guy who, I forget how many sacks he had, but he, he seemed to have a, a couple every game. Looked like an all-world uh, pass rusher. And um, it was uh, a little deceptive because he was going against uh, guys who would probably play in the CFL instead of the NFL. Uh, but uh, that that's what you sort of have to be able to gauge. And, and I'm sure the, the, the 49ers and their, their staff, their scouts are kind of dealing with the same issues. Is, is, is what we're seeing real or is it uh, a bit of a mirage because of the, uh, the quality of the opponent? Um, let's talk about tight end. Uh, I, I know one tight end that's going to make the uh, 53-man roster. I'm, I'm not quite as uh, confident about the next two if it is three that they keep. Um, I, I think that Ty- Tyler Croft has really kind of impressed them. I think that uh, he really fits what they want to do this year, which is run the ball. Uh, he's another guy that uh, that blocks. He probably blocks almost as well as Kittle does, and I think that's very important to them. So my guess is that uh, Croft is on the team, and um, it really depends on how quickly Charlie Warner can round into form uh, because if he's back to where he was at the end of the season, 
uh, he was clearly their their number two tight end, and and uh, he can move around, he can be an H back, he can do a lot of things for them. He's also really good on special teams as well. But if he's not quite back, then uh, I don't know what they do there. Whether uh, I mean, I I think uh, if he didn't make the initial fifty three man cut, uh, Ross Dwelly for certain would be that third tight end. So that that to me is the is sort of the outstanding question is. Uh, uh, is Charlie Warner back to full form? And if not, do they think that he can get there by September 11? Yeah, because, you know, I know that Kyle has liked to take four tight ends. This is another part of the, the uh, really difficult math situation, though, that the 49ers are facing. So I currently have him projected with only three, Kittle, Werner, and Ross Dwelly, even though Croft has has impressed. Uh, you know, I, I, he made that really nice catch from Nate Sudfeld against the Vikings there near the sideline. Nice throw and catch on that play. That, by the way, was the only pressure that Spencer Burford gave up against the Vikings. And it wasn't even a clean beat. It was, yeah. I mean, he did the, the tackle did get by him, uh, but he sl- still managed to slow him enough without holding to allow Nate Sudfeld, who, by the way, is sneaky quick. Nate Sudfeld, everybody thinks he's a statue because he's, what, 6'7"? Um, there are a couple plays where he was moving and he got away from a gap pressure in this game and he got the pass off. If you watch it from the all 22 angle, from the end zone angle, um, it's impressive. Uh, and Nate Sudfeld can move a lot better than people think he can. I, you know, Purdy's put on some good movement skills for the 49ers, but Sudfeld just whenever guys that lanky, you, you never really expect him to be able to, to shuffle at all. But, uh, you know, Keaton Sutherland, the third string center, was giving up a ton of pressure against the Vikings. So Sudfeld had a move and he did get out of the way there. But anyway, tight ends. I think it's Kittle, Werner and Dwelly. What about what about the, the counterparts on defense? What about the linebackers, Matt? Um, obviously, Warner, Greenlaw, Shire and Oren Burks, the number four. Uh, I think we talked about this a bit last week. For me, it's Demetrius Fennigan Foles right now has that on lockdown, number five. Everybody's excited about McCrary Ball and Saguna Luby. You know, maybe Brian Schneider might be excited about Curtis Robinson on the special teams unit. But all three of those guys, you know, I see them as as practice squad out of the gate this year, not not 53-man roster. Yeah, I don't think there's any going to be any issue getting them to the practice squad. And I thought that Flanagan Fowles uh, played well in the Vikings game. Uh, he seemed hungry. He seemed, he seemed to know what was at stake here. He he needed to play well, or uh, he was at risk in, in losing his uh, his fifty three man spot. He's uh he was one of their better uh, special teamers uh, in recent years too, and I think that's that's a theme. I mean, we 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 just been talking about Malik Turner uh, possibly making this team, Orrin Burks, George Odom. Um, I think that Kyle Shanahan realizes that if our special teams is X percent better, that's going to equal one or two more wins for us, perhaps. Uh, so I think uh, Brian Schneider will have a say in it. And I think uh, not to put down McCrary Ball or uh, Sagu Alubi, I think they're going to turn into really good special teamers. Uh, but uh, Flanagan Fowles is the more reliable guy right now, and uh, that's why I think he probably gets that that fifth spot. You know, they cut Jeremiah Gemmel 
to get from 85 to 80. And it's easy to see why he, he, he's a four, seven forty guy. Uh, McCrary ball and Olubi are both four five or under. So they're truly just valuing speed that they can develop for the future at linebacker. Gemmel was more of a cerebral player, right? They called him the general in North Carolina and he was the Mike linebacker type, but the 49ers just want guys who could fly. And Olubi is raw. Yes, we've talked about him a lot, but 4440 for a linebacker, which is insane. And we saw McCrary Ball's 4-5 speed on display. That definitely wasn't a lie when we saw him uh, returning that interception. So I think the 49ers are really excited to work with those two. They've already worked with Curtis Robinson, the Stanford product, before, and they do like what, what he has brought the special teams unit. So remember, if you can make the practice squad, uh, there is a chance he get flexed up for a game. And, uh, you know, the roster's 55 players big now on Sunday, so the 49ers can mix and match how they please. Why don't we uh, talk about the secondary here as we begin to move toward wrapping this up, Matt? Uh, Charvarius Ward expected back next week after this, this game against the Texans. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley came back with a vengeance this week. The 49ers certainly love to see that. I mean, there, he yelled some stuff that we cannot repeat after he blanketed Brandon Ayuk, and that was after he had already generated two interceptions, picked one ball off and tipped another one to Tano Hufanga. Mosley is just acting like an alpha dog out there on the field, which the 49ers would love to pair with another alpha dog in Charvarius Ward and maybe a third alpha dog in Jason Verrett once he potentially comes off of Pup week five at the soonest. But you, you look at the corners and they're getting healthy there. Ambry Thomas also currently out with a knee issue. Um, but boy, if this unit can stay healthy, that that's the big qualifier. It, it is hands down the best the 49ers have had in the Shanahan era, just at, just at corner. And I haven't even gotten to the nickel position where they're looking young, hungry, and talented as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think they're going to kind of benefit from that because I think uh, Mosley is going to have a good season. He's going to get paid, which means that the 49ers will get a, a nice comp pick in the 2024 draft. So that that's all sort of according to plan. They, they'd love that kind of cycle to – to occur over the next, uh, you know, five, six years or so. So, you know, let, let's just go through the numbers. Uh, Charvarius Ward and, and Mosley are the starters on the outside. Uh, Samuel Womack's going to play almost as many snaps uh, as as the nickel. Uh, so who are the next two guys? You need somebody else who can play nickel. Um, and, uh, you know, this is sort of the beauty of having Dante Johnson on the team because uh, he can play – Every spot in the secondary. So I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna count Dante Johnson. I'm gonna count him when we talk about the safeties, uh, because I think that's what he's gonna end up playing initially in the season. Uh, but he's capable of, of playing that nickel spot if they ever ran into a jam there. And Diamondor Lenore is as well, and and he's really been surging. I'd say the last uh, you know two weeks or so. He's a guy that can play on the outside. He can play on the inside. I think his future is probably going to be on the inside as a, as as Womack's emergency guy, um, as a special teamer. He's got a little bit of grit there. And then I think the uh, the fifth guy is going to be Ambry Thomas, and and he's not doing as well right now as uh, Lenore is. Those guys seem to jockey back and forth in terms of uh, their progress, and it's a down period for Ambry Thomas, but. Um, it's not a, uh, it's way too soon to, to give up on him. So, um, I think that, uh, they're going to keep that group of five, uh, with, the uh, the beauty that, that Dante Johnson, the, the, the guy that nobody seems to like among the fan base, but 
who really kind of gives you a lot for the buck. Um, and uh, that, that gives you a little bit of freedom uh, maneuverability uh, in the secondary. Well, I'll tell you what, I have to say this again. If there's any remaining slander of Dante Johnson, it should probably stop right now. He was an absolute hero for the 49ers last year. But remember, his mother passed away unexpectedly, and then he showed up and not only delivered at safety in the must-win game of Week 18 against the Rams, first nickel and then safety after the injury. But then he he had to start a corner against the Packers, and he they shut down Devonte Adams. So I mean, Dante Johnson. Yeah, punt. Yeah, unbelievable. Jimmy Ward. Uh, yeah, no, it was that, it was a uh, field goal. Yeah, I, I don't care what happens moving forward uh, in Dante Johnson's career. I think he will always be worthy of the good 49 49er title. Was he a great player for them? No, but he was a good 49er. He yeah, I mean he was yo-yoed between the practice squad and active roster cut, re-signed so many times, right? So many transactions and he had to go to other teams too. He's he's you know survived through uh two different regimes. He was drafted back in the bulky era back in 2014. Uh, yeah, he kept coming to work. Yeah, you know, even though he was treated as disposable so many times, he kept coming to the work. And uh, I'm sure there are thousands, if not hundreds, I don't know how many fans the 49ers have, but a lot of people, uh, I'm sure, cherish the memories of what happened at Lambeau Field last year. And for that to happen, Week 18 had to happen. And if Dante Johnson didn't contribute what he did in both of those games, Thousands and thousands of people would not have the positive memories that they do today. He he was that important in those two games. So and he did that in the face of tragedy last year after his mother had passed away the weekend that the 49ers played Cincinnati. So I just have to, you know, I know you've written a lot about Dante as well, Matt. Uh, I, I think, you know, we've known him. You've known him for longer than me. You've known him since 2014. But he's one of those guys that just takes a beating. Uh, but but he he just showed up and continued doing his job and and I think that the narrative needs to change on him right now. Yeah, and, and hopefully I think it has um, based on you know what we've written and what we're saying right now. Uh, you know, just to add to that, he's he's a great guy. You know, the 49ers have these these community events on Tuesdays, which is uh, the players' day off. So you know, these guys practice all the time. Uh, they're on the road. They play games. Their bodies are bruised. Tuesday is their one day just to have for themselves to kind of float away. So uh, the 49ers, um, you know, sometimes have trouble getting guys to show up for these events, you know, visiting hospitals, visiting uh, juvenile detention center and talking to kids there. Uh, just really great things. Uh, and Dante Johnson's one of the guys that shows up. He's just a good, decent uh, person, um, and he's well liked uh, among the teammates. That's why, that's why the, they've welcomed him back so many times. I mean, he's a guy that you want to have in the locker room. So, uh, yeah, hats off to him. His his last season, I think he makes the team. Does he make the initial roster? Sometimes they they tend <laughs> they yo-yo to, him there too. <laughs> they yo-yo him as well. So he could be among the cuts. But I think even if he is among the cuts, and I, and I don't think he will be. But even if he is, um, he's going to be back. He's going to be like a boomerang. You, you don't get rid of jo- Dante Johnson. He's the barnacle. Uh, you try to scrape him off the hull. He always comes back. Uh, so, But I, I'd like to include him among the safeties. Uh, and that's sort of a, a big question. I mean, uh, it's a question mark who's going to start at safety. Uh, I think we know that Talano Hufanga is going to be the starting strong safety in Chicago. But uh, Jimmy Ward's recent hamstring injury... 
makes him iffy for that spot. So, um, I, you know, you got George Odom. He seems to be the favorite right now. You've got Dante Johnson as a possibility. You've got Tarverius Moore as a possibility. I think those four guys uh, make the team um, at uh, at that safety spot. But then you have some, you know, they, you've got the new guy that they just signed, Tashawn Gibson. Um so there's some other ones to consider at that spot. Yeah, with Gibson, he's 32. He was a pro bowler back in 2014, and he was with the Browns that year. So if you remember, Kyle Shanahan, that was his one season with Cleveland. So uh, it also happened to be the season where Kwan Williams started a nickel for, for the Browns as a rookie, 2014. So that's when Gibson was a pro bowler at safety. Uh, he's obviously at the back end of his career I think that the the initial plan for him and and he could you know he could stretch this out a little bit if he really impresses them or if some other injuries happen but they they really really need guys to eat up snaps at safety this Thursday against the Texans because they don't want any more injuries there because Jimmy Ward already has a hamstring pull that it was pretty severe. I mean, it's going to keep him out for a while. And they're even talking about that lasting into the season. And I think if the 49ers are smart, they'll let it last into the season uh, because you don't want this to linger for Jimmy Ward. You need to treat this like a marathon and not a sprint. And given that, given the fact that you might not see Ward for, you know, until later September, maybe even October, who knows? I'm not sure. But given the fact that's a danger, you can't have Hufanga getting hurt. You can't have Tarverius Moore getting hurt. You can't have George Odom getting hurt. So Gibson comes in and he he can give you those snaps right now on Thursday to, to kind of shield you from exposure. And if he plays really well and if he impresses them and if somebody else does get dinged up, okay, well then maybe you're talking about him being at least a practice squad kind of guy that can get called up for the you know early season. But maybe even you have to start thinking about the 53 if somebody gets hurt. So it, it's all fluid, which is why, you know, it, it's it's kind of we have to couch every single prediction we make right now because so much can happen on the football field tomorrow. Right, Matt? And, and, and at that point, you just have to, you know, wait and see or I guess I should say today. So much can happen on the football field today, tonight, Matt. And uh, in that case, you have to just wait and see what does unfold because then you make the adjustments to your 53-man projection. Yeah, and that brings us back to our initial point about Trey Lance. You know, you want to see him do well, but boy, you want to see him get out of there healthy uh, first and foremost. And that that, uh, that goes for everybody on this team because that'll make all of this discussion that we had uh, and I think everybody's on the same page. I don't think there's going to be any real big surprises. Uh, but you're right. The only thing that can throw a kink in that at this point is uh, is a big injury or two in this game. So uh, fingers crossed that uh, it, it's a uh, it's a healthy report coming out of Houston. Yeah, everybody wants to see healthy football, that's for sure. All right, so we'll be back with you very soon after this. Uh, the season's about to pick up. And that's exciting stuff because, uh, well, actually, you know, we got to wait 17 days after Houston. That, that's not exciting to me, but 53-man cutdown will help us pass some of the time. And then the 49ers start on September 11th at Chicago. So, everybody, thank you for joining this time. For Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. This has been the Here's the Catch podcast. We'll talk to you all the next time we're on air.